0: Hey, Conjurers, I'm Sham. And I'm Steph. Most of us have this vision of growing old and our kids taking care of us the same way we would take care of our parents. We all have that elderly couple in our neighborhood, you know, the ones who keep an eye out and report anything suspicious during their time out on the porch people watching. What if all of that was just for show and what was happening in their home was something that would soon give the community absolute chills? In the summer of 1965 in Houston, Texas, police were dispatched to a home of an elderly couple named Fred and Edwina Rogers. Their nephew was unable to reach them by phone, and after a couple of days, he became very weary and requested a welfare check. The police officer on duty that day was Captain Officer Bullock and his partner, Lt. Berta. They had done many welfare checks in the past and didn't think this one would be any different. Once they got there, they found the home to look pretty out of the ordinary. According to Officer Bullock, there were flower pots stacked against the door, making it difficult to get in. The police became immediately aware that someone had intentions of making the entry into the home a challenge and something was terribly wrong. They finally got inside after clearing the pots and they decided to split up and clear the house. Bullock headed towards the kitchen while Barda immediately started searching the rest of the home in hopes of making contact with one of the Rogers.
1: Oh yeah, super suspicious from the start. I guess it's possible that they always used a different door, you know, so it didn't matter to them if the front one was blocked, but this is a crime podcast, so probably not in this case. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I find anyone weird who doesn't use their front door, or at least assume a visitor will not automatically go there and ring the doorbell. Just looking at their home, though, it was pretty small, and the front door is the first point of entry visible. Okay, so is anything weird inside the house? When Bullock reached the kitchen, fear came over him, and he would later explain that the hairs on his arms stood up in that moment. As he was examining the kitchen, he noticed food on the dinner table, It wasn't snacks or even meals, but it was condiments, juice, and pretty much everything you can find in someone's refrigerator out in the open. That struck Bullock as odd, and he wanted to understand why they put the food out like that. So he went to the refrigerator to see if maybe they ran out of space, or check if anything was broken in there. Like they left in a hurry
1: while cleaning out the fridge or something?
0: I suppose, but who just leaves perishable items out? Like, I would understand if it was a cabinet with canned foods or seasonings, but the average person knows that they will spoil all their food if they leave out anything from the refrigerator.
1: I mean, you don't get any warning when you're about to be abducted by aliens, man.
0: Right? (laughs) (laughs) At first glance, everything appeared to be in its place other than the shelves being full of hog meat. There was so much in there that Bullock's first thought was that the Rogers paid to have an entire hog butchered for them, and they needed the whole refrigerator to store it. As he went to close the door, he noticed a clear vegetable drawer in the freezer with a woman's head with her eyes looking at him. This woman turned out to be Edwina Rogers, and in the bin next to her was the head of her husband, Fred Rogers. According to Bullock, Fred's head was in the same position as Edwina's, but his eyes had been entirely removed from his skull. Oh, jeez, That's horrifying. I bet Bullock had nightmares about those heads for years. I know I would. I mean, it's very obvious that no one would expect to see that in someone's fridge. He was probably more prepared to find a dead body on the floor, but a head in the fridge? Absolutely not.
1: I'm guessing the fridge is
0: not full of animal meat. Well, it became clear that it was not hog meat Bullock was looking at, but it was the dismembered bodies of Fred and Edwina. The meat was drained of all their blood, and a majority of the organs were removed and disposed of. It was clear that the couple was dead and had been murdered, so Bullock and his partner called the coroner out to collect the remains. According to the coroner's report, the Rogers were murdered three days prior to the discovery of their bodies, which would have been on Father's Day on June 20th. Happy Father's Day. I mean, that's so messed up. I mean, what a gift, right? I just get my dad's scratchets and whine. This is what I call being over the top. <laughs> Not what he was hoping for, I'm sure. Okay, let's talk evidence. It was clear to investigators that the house had been deep cleaned. The house had been scrubbed and the smell of bleach was very potent. There wasn't any visible blood. This was until they made their way to the bathroom where blood was everywhere and it was clear that the bodies of Fred and Edwina were dismembered there. They also found traces of blood in the son Charles' room in a handsaw they suspected had been used on the couple. There was also a trail of blood from the kitchen to Charles' room that the police said came from the handsaw located in the bedroom. It was cleaned up for the most part, but there was just enough evidence to leave a trace. Okay. Okay so charles is
1: either a suspect or another
0: victim at this point i mean there's always the possibility that maybe he was murdered in a different way than his parents and his body wasn't left in the home
1: it certainly speaks to the killer's comfort level though to how much they cleaned up dismembering the bodies and neatly storing them in the fridge cleaning up the blood they clearly weren't worried that someone would come home and catch them
0: in the refrigerator were the heads torsos arms and legs of the rogers couple Their intestines, however, were found in the sewer after they had been flushed down the toilet. After doing some digging as to why the investigators decided to search the sewers at all, I found that so much of their intestines had been flushed down the toilet, it actually stopped up the pipes of their home. The investigators ended up going under the house to pull out the pipes, and when they did, that is when they noticed the flush intestines coming out. Ew. Ew.
1: I bet that was a fun job to pull
0: all that out of the pipes. I mean, shout out to the toilet company because that's a (laughs) lot to go down. (laughs) Most toilets, you can't even flush a wipe or a tampon without issues, but whole intestines? (laughs) That's wild.
1: I've heard about (laughs) multiple killers flushing body parts down the toilet. It never goes well. Maybe that's why the rest
0: of their bodies were in the fridge. The dismemberment of the couple and the cuts on them were very clean and precise. It was clear the murder of the two had been intentional. Due to that, the investigators assumed the murderer had to have medical and surgical knowledge. Forensics were able to determine the cause of death for Edwina was a single gunshot wound to the head, and Fred died from being beaten to death with a hammer and the claw of the hammer being used to remove both of his eyes. Worse yet, his genitals had even been removed and mutilated.
1: Well, that sounds like Fred was the target
0: and Edwina was collateral damage. What a brutal way to go. Definitely brutal. So I was able to find the definition for people that mutilate body parts after or during a murder from practicalhomicide.com. It's called lust Murders, which are homicides in which the offender stabs, cuts, pierces, or mutilates the sexual regions or organs of the victim's body. The sexual mutilation of the victim may include evisceration, picarism, displacement of the genitalia in both males and females, and the removal of breasts in a female victim. But get this, there's two types of less murderers. There's the organized offender, such as Jeffrey Dahmer, who planned the mutilation of men. And then there's the disorganized offenders that are usually the loner type, who usually aren't married, live either alone or with a relative in close proximity to the crime scene.
1: Mm. Well, he's no Jeffrey Dahmer, but that doesn't mean he doesn't in some way fit the description.
0: One thing that shocked the public was just how the crime scene was handled and how unprotected it was from contamination. According to old crime scene photos, the investigation team at the time did wear gloves and other protective gear while looking at the crime scene to prevent any damage. There was, however, touching of the refrigerator with their bare hands. Back in the 70s, most crime scenes like this one were all hands on deck. The more people to have to figure out what happened, the better. However, with more people comes a higher chance of evidence contamination. Even though the crime scene could have been handled better, that doesn't change the fact that Charles' fingerprints were on the fridge and the saw. I mean,
1: Charles lived there, so I'm not surprised his fingerprints were on everything. I can't believe they weren't more careful, though. Even the suggestion of crime scene contamination can break a case at trial.
0: Right? I would assume that this was because they didn't have all the forensic technology we have now, and everything was pretty much manual back then. Exactly. For obvious reasons, this one suspect was immediately on the police's radar and a nationwide search was launched for the son of Fred and Edwina, Charles. They began checking airports, but no one reported a man of his description flying or purchasing a ticket. They continued to search for him, but had no luck. After 10 years in 1975, they said they had no choice but to declare Charles deceased. Steph will tell us more about this family after a short break. At
1: the time of the murder, Fred was 81 years old and was a retired real estate agent, and Edwina was 79 years old, and she was also a retired sales agent. According to their peers, they lived a very quiet life and were consistently involved in the community. Nothing stood out in their lives that caused anyone who knew them any concern. Violence taking place in the Rogers' home never crossed anyone's mind. However, if you look deeper, this family was strikingly odd. Reportedly, Fred and Edwina didn't really like each other. They just tolerated each other. They were known to come off as roommates more so than a married couple, Due to Charles' work schedule and antisocial personality, he wouldn't speak to his parents and hadn't had a face-to-face conversation with them in over five years. If he needed to speak to them about anything, he would just leave notes around the house. The home seemed to be riddled with resentment behind closed doors.
0: How is that even possible to live with someone and not see them for five days, let alone five years? That's very impressive. (laughs) right? How do they even know he's still there? (laughs) Like, who is this guy? So Charles had actually
1: owned the home, and the couple lived with him. It appeared as though he hadn't been there for several days, and there was no indication as to his whereabouts. His relationship with his family was a bit estranged, to say the least. Charles was a 43-year-old single man who lived upstairs in the attic. He kept his door locked at all times, and according to the Rogers maid, if someone wanted to communicate with Charles, they could only do so by slipping notes under his door.
0: So, he definitely matches up to that disorganized offender of less murder that I was talking about earlier. He's not married, and he's living with a relative in close proximity of the crime scene.
1: Definitely possible. What do you think about his unique form of communication?
0: I find it very weird that his only form of communication was notes. (laughs) He was a real loner, and that's pretty sad and disturbing. Was this his entire life? He hadn't
1: always been so isolated. He was a World War II veteran and had been a pilot for the Navy. He was known as a very intellectual guy, speaking seven languages, and had graduated with his bachelor's degree in nuclear physics. A majority of his career, he had worked for the Shell Oil Company. His job was helping them determine where the safest points were to drill oil. In the military, his service was working in Navy intelligence. At one point, he was even a spy. This would later cause conspiracy theories regarding the skills he learned in the military being put into play in his own life at home. Charles would leave the house almost every day, telling his family it was for business and often wouldn't return until his parents were asleep. Many neighbors had no idea that Roger's son even lived there at all because of how often he was away from the house. They all assumed the house belonged to Fred and Edwina.
0: For the neighbors not to notice this man means that he clearly didn't want it to be known that that was his home, which is so weird. It certainly seems that way. It sounds like he was
1: reasonably successful for such an odd guy.
0: Okay, so I need to know what was the outcome of the investigation. Like, what do they think happened?
1: So there are multiple theories. This case not only gained Houston's attention, it gained attention on a national level. There were a few theories that the public came up with, including tying the Icebox murders to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. This theory suggested Charles was not just a spy for the Navy, but actually was a CIA agent— who was involved in the entire assassination. According to some theorists, they believe his parents discovered that he had something to do with it and he had to get rid of them to prevent any form of evidence being leaked to the public.
0: Okay. Um, I did not see (laughs) that coming. (laughs) What's up with everybody wanting to be included in the President Kennedy's murder?
1: I have no idea. People just love a good conspiracy theory.
0: So, just because he was a spy, he may have had something to do with it?
1: The fact that Charles lived in Texas around the time of the assassination and was previously a spy, of course, helped fuel this theory. But that isn't the only thing that tied him to it for some people. Evidence was found that he had joined the Civil Air Control in the 50s and met a man named David Ferry, who was actually known as a getaway pilot. David Ferry was part of one of the many theories surrounding President John F. Kennedy's death, and his association with Charles is all people needed.
0: I mean, if that's all they got, it's hard to believe this one. He could have just met David in the military or something.
1: Yeah, it's thin for sure. I don't buy it personally.
0: Tell me they came up with something else.
1: The next theory was a bit more believable, but not without question. This one did hold Charles 100% responsible for slaughtering his parents, but it also made him a victim. According to a book called The Icebox Murders, he was the victim of years of abuse and manipulation at the hands of Fred and Edwina. The book suggests he grew up in a home where he was exposed to alcohol-fueled emotional and physical abuse. This included ruining his life financially by doing things like taking out loans in his name he wasn't aware of. There was evidence that both Fred and Edwina had been forging Charles's name on deeds and Fred's financial debts. Fred had a history of a gambling problem, which resulted in a lot of debt. In the book, the author states that eventually Charles couldn't take it anymore and snapped. This also explains why Fred's death was brutal and Edwina's was quick and painless. Charles likely had a lot of anger built up when it came to Fred and decided to take his mother's life in a painless way.
0: Well, that's one way for someone to build a ton of resentment and hate towards a family member. It's one thing that Fred may have ruined his own life with all these bad habits, but to ruin your child and to continue doing that to them as an adult means Charles likely always felt like that little abused boy.
1: Yeah, some parents, huh? This theory isn't uncommon, so definitely possible.
0: That had to take a huge toll on Charles' mental and emotional health.
1: Yeah, so Charles' increasing antisocial behavior suggests there's a possibility that he could have had PTSD from his days in the military, and his mental health was declining. There also could have been a history of child abuse when he was growing up at the hands of Fred that eventually caught up to him. With PTSD, abuse, and financial harm, this was a recipe for disaster.
0: Oh, definitely. And if he was avoiding them for five years, and who knows how much they talked before, he was definitely just sitting on those feelings. The
1: American Psychiatric Association says this about PTSD. People with PTSD have intense, disturbing thoughts and feelings related to their experiences that last long after the traumatic event has ended. They may relive the events through flashbacks or nightmares. They may feel sadness, fear, or anger, and they may feel detached or estranged from other people. People with PTSD may avoid situations or people that remind them of the traumatic event, and they may have strong negative reactions to something as ordinary as a loud noise or an accidental touch.
0: While PTSD is a very real thing that should always be considered, any other theories? The final theory is that Charles was actually murdered five years
1: prior to the death of his parents, and the murderer slept in the house at night. Due to him being a spy, this theory could mean someone had it out for Charles and killed him and his parents. This would explain why Edwina hadn't had a face-to-face interaction with her son in over five years, and why he only communicated with his parents by leaving notes around the house. The theory suggests the same guy that killed Charles was discovered by one of the Rogers, and that led to their deaths. However, most find this hard to believe based on the way the Rogers were murdered. If it was someone other than Charles, why weren't both parents murdered the same way? The additional mutilation of Fred suggests it was very personal.
0: Okay, as weird as this sounds, this theory was the one I can believe. (laughs) It's so creepy and would make for an amazing, scary movie. But, like, why would he be leaving notes around the house to communicate and never show his face for five whole years? This theory totally got me, too. I know it's
1: crazy and out there, but so is only communicating via notes pushed under the door. If you don't see who you're talking to, it could literally be anyone in that room.
0: Like, anyone. This person could have studied Charles, Fred, and Edwina. And for whatever reason, murdered Charles and took his place. And
1: we discussed at length on episode 13 how Bob Berdella viciously tortured and mutilated people he barely knew for his own sick enjoyment. It looks
0: personal because of the savage mutilation, but some people are just sick. Right. So here's a tip for our conjurers. If there's a guest in your home you haven't seen in more than a week, but they are still obviously coming and going... Just set up a camera or stay up and wait for them to pull up because people are crazy. That's a great tip. The Rogers had no known enemies and no one that
1: wished them harm. The only suspect to this day is their son, Charles, given all the evidence being connected to him. The home of the Rogers, located on 1815 Driscoll Street, was put on probate but was torn down in 1972.
0: What's probate?
1: Oh yeah, I had to look it up too. A home is sold in probate court when someone dies without willing their property to anyone. When that happens, the state takes over and administers the property sale.
0: Okay, so any word on Charles?
1: It has been over 55 years and the whereabouts of Charles still remains a mystery. There have been alleged sightings for Charles outside of America. One witness even said a man fitting his description used his knowledge of oil and gained a few jobs in the industry over in Mexico. He said eventually the man died due to a violent interaction after presenting a business deal in Honduras that the other party found was in poor taste. This led to him being killed with a pitchfork, but there's no way of actually verifying this.
0: Well, with all the skills he learned in the military as a spy, I'm sure he knew more than the average human when it came to getting away and not being found. He probably also formed a ton of connections he could utilize. I totally agree. We will never know what really led Charles to kill his parents on Father's Day. It could have been a random act, but it's likely this was something that had been in the making for years. This case makes it clear that what goes on behind closed doors isn't always visible, even to those closest to you. People often show you exactly what they want to be perceived as. In this case, Fred and Edwina were a loving couple. They weren't estranged, and Charles didn't even live there. No one could have imagined a murder and disposal as brutal as the Rogers, but it's the one murder that to this day is hard to forget.
1: It may be too late for the Rogers to have justice, but that doesn't mean we can't prevent this from happening to someone else. Most crimes need the community's help to solve. For that, there's Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers is entirely anonymous, and the process of calling Crime Stoppers is simple. If you have knowledge of a crime, call 1-877-903-STOP, which puts you in contact with the Crime Stoppers Command Center. An operator will answer the phone and take down the information you wish to provide. They will never ask for your name, number, address, or any other identifying information. You can also place a tip on the website from the tip submit button on the main page, or you can download the P3 Tips app.
0: To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode was done by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Alina. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Crime and Conjure Podcast for our question of the week. Sham, what's our conjure tip of the week? This week we want to talk about the stone Larimar, which is known as the stone of peace. This stone has an elegant quality to it and gives off an earthy energy that is known to fill you with tranquility. This stone will help prevent things from going on in your life, such as guilt, fear, and anger, from disturbing your energy. If you're dealing with a stressful period in your life, rather than from work or self-sabotaging behaviors, carry one of these with you wherever you go. It will bring peace and clarity while radiating healing energy.
1: I'd never heard of this stone before, so I had to check it out. It is only found in the Caribbean, and it is absolutely beautiful. If you look close, it's like you're looking into clear blue waters. I know what I'm adding to my wish list. Thanks for joining us. We'll
0: be back next week with another episode. Until Until next time, time, stay vigilant, conjurers. conjurers.